Good morning, Doxa. You guys doing well? Okay, that's good. A couple of you guys are great. That's awesome. Guys, welcome to Doxa. If you're new or visiting and we haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, guys. It's, it's great to have you here with us um, this morning. We're going to continue our study in the great book of Acts. So if you want to grab your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open up to the book of Acts chapter 13. All right. And as you get there, guys, let me, let me say this. This has actually been like a, a really big weekend in the, the life of our church. Not sure if you, you know that or not. But Doxa Church is actually part of a, a larger family network of churches called the, the Salt Network. All right? The Salt Network is, is all about loving Jesus, making the gospel known, making disciples, planting churches, and, and reaching the next generation for the cause of, of Christ. And if you've been around for a while, guys, you, you know that, that one of the things that we put a lot of energy in and a lot of resources in, among other things, is, is our college ministry called the, the Salt Company, okay? And if you look around today, you, you kind of see that we're, we're missing a, a big chunk of some younger students and Ronnie Goble, who's our, our Salt Company director, and, and it's not because they've had like a revolt and they're going to start another church somewhere, okay? They're actually in Des Moines, Iowa, with 3,004 other students from around our network that are gathered for the annual Salt Company Conference, okay? And guys, I just want to tell you this, okay? Lisa and I were there all weekend, and uh, we got back late last night, but guys, it's, it's incredible what, what God is doing. I mean, 3,004 students are gathered right now, as we're gathered here, and they're hearing the Bible preached. Students are, are coming to Jesus, right? and they're being envisioned to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. And I, and I tell you this because not only is our, our church really just kind of like in a place where we're witnessing the, the blessings and the, the movement of God in our midst, but guys, I just want you to know that as we sit here, we're part of something like way bigger than ourselves, all right, that I, that I really believe that we're, we're kind of all like wrapped up, whether you know it or not, we're, we're kind of wrapped up in this, this movement that God is orchestrating to change the world. All right, and I know that if you've, if you've been to church before, like, you, you know, this, okay, here comes the, like the pastoral hyperbole, changing the world stuff. Because here, here's what I'm saying. I think this is absolutely true. I mean, 3,004 students representing like the next generation. Guys, if they go out into the world, like post-college, with the love of God in their heart, the gospel of Jesus on their tongue, and a vision for their life to be part of the church for the movement of God to bring the gospel to nations, Guys, this is an absolute game changer, and we're, we're wrapped up in this, okay? And so here's what we're going to do. Before we open the Bible together, we're just going to pray, all right? We're going to pray for these students. Some of you guys know these students, our Salt Company students really well. They're your babysitters. You have them over to your house. You feed them. You let them do their laundry so they don't stink as they walk around camp. You know them. Some of you, you might not know any of them, but guys, there's, there's, there's over 3,000 of them gathered right now, just like we are in Des Moines, and I just want us to pray. And so I'm going to give us just a minute, and, and we're going to lift them up in prayer. And here's specifically what I want you to ask to, to pray about, okay? It's just pray that every single one of them would encounter and hear from God in a really powerful way. That as they go back to their campuses all around the country, that they would follow Jesus in a way that honors him and pushes the gospel forward, okay? So I'm just going to give you guys just like a minute, okay? Pray for those students by name. Just pray in general, and then I'm going to wrap us up here in a minute, okay? So go ahead and pray for those students.
others, 3,004 students gathered in a room in Des Moines, Iowa right now, students that you love. Okay, but there's also millions of students around this country and around this world that you also love that don't know you. So God, I pray that as they're being taught the Bible right now, as they're worshiping and encountering you, that would you just do something in their heart, in their soul, that would take that experience, that good news of the gospel out of that big conference center to the ends of the world so that more students would come to know you and that generations to come would experience, would, would hear, and would know the good news of Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, so here, here's what we're going to do, okay? We, you know, one of the things that God has been pressing on us about is, like, just being a church that, that prays, right? As we've encountered this through our study through the book of Acts. And so one of the things that we have started to do, and we just wanted to let you know of, is, like, after the service, guys, if you need prayer, there's, there's leaders up here that would love to pray for you, all right? They're not necessarily a bunch of Dr. Phil's up here to fix all your problems, but if you need someone to talk to the Father for you, they would love to pray for you. So you can come up after service and, and do that. But let's get into this, okay? Acts chapter 13, verse 1 is, is where we're going to start, and this is what we see. Now, there were in the church at Antioch. I want you to circle the word Antioch. This is a, a, an awesome church. We're going to talk about this. There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon was called Niger, Lucius was Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews." Now, here's what's going on, okay? Acts chapter 13 kind of marks like this, this watershed moment in the narrative of the early church here in Acts. That, that in Acts chapter 1 through 12, we kind of see Luke focusing in on this man named Peter and how God used him significantly in the church of Jerusalem and to push the church forward. But starting here in Acts chapter 13, throughout really the rest of the book of Acts, Luke basically shifts his focus to hone in on two guys. Paul and Barnabas, and he's going to focus in for the rest of this book, looking at their ministry, showing us how the gospel advanced really throughout the Roman Empire into the ends of the earth. And if you look back, as we start with the church of Antioch, right, and this is like this, this beautiful church. And so I'll say this, guys, this sermon today is really just about the church. All right, so this message today is, is, is about the church, meaning our specific church, but really the, the global church, all churches that, that love Jesus and, and teach the Bible. And throughout this first, this chapter here in, in chapter 13, what I want to do is I want to highlight to you two specific things about the church that we just need to know, okay? So you're part of Doxa Church, but what does that mean? Two specific things. We're going to focus in and consider first on the nature of the church, and then we're going to look at one of the main focuses of the church, okay? So the first thing, when we talk about like the nature of the church, Acts 13 begins with this church of Antioch. And Antioch is this church that really just like every church should aspire to, all right? They're this great example that we should all look to as the church, okay? That they were this Bible-saturated church, that they were all about the scriptures. We, we see this as you look back to verse one, right? They had prophets and teachers that were, were teaching people the scriptures. They were teaching people the Bible. But they were also a worshiping church, Look back, they, they elevated the name of Jesus through praying and fasting and singing. 
they were an obedient church, meaning that they followed God, right? The Holy Spirit of God breaks in and, and tells them to do something, and they obeyed the voice of God. They were this obedient church. Even more, they were a generous church, because as this church in, in Antioch was, was thriving, but there was also people in other places like Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church. And back in Acts chapter 11, we see this. They were struggling. There were people in very, they had very real needs. And so the church in Antioch, they, they sent money and resources and people to go and alleviate and help those problems. They were really, really a generous church. But even more than that, guys, they were a, a missional church. And here's what a missional church means, guys, is that means that they were all about people meeting Jesus. They were, they were a church that was continuing what Jesus started. And this is evidenced by verses three and four, if you look back, that, that they sent out two of their primary leaders to go and to start another church, to start more churches, to, to preach the gospel to people who hadn't heard it yet. All right, so Antioch is this, this beautiful church that was really about two things, same things that we're about, Jesus and people, Right? People meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This is what it's about. This is the mission of God, and this church was all about this. Now, guys, in addition to this, I, I want to point this out to you, okay? Along with all of those things, which show us kind of like the nature of the church, the church of, of Antioch was, was also a very integrated church. And when I say integrated, this is, this is what I mean, okay? This church was, was beautifully diverse, Look back to verse one. Verse one is one of those verses that as you read the Bible, we can quickly look over, right? But we get five people there. And, and like you read this and you see those names, you're like, everything in the Bible is given to us intentionally to teach us something. And so we just have to be diligent of like, okay, well, why are these people in here? Luke must have done this for a reason. Guys, and the reason is this. He's showing us that the church is made up of a bunch of different types of people. All right, the, when you look at these five guys, you, you had Jews, you had Africans, you had a man from Cyprus, you had Gentiles, you had Greeks, you had a man from a member of uh, King Herod's household, that this church in Antioch was really just kind of a, a microcosm of what the church would become in the world as it marched forward with the gospel. And guys, this reminds us, it should remind us of something very, very significant that we all need to remember. And it's this, guys, the, the church in the gospel is not just for one type of person. It's not just for one group of per people, but it's for all people whom God loves and all people whom God has created. All right, that it, the, the church and the gospel, it's not just for like rich, white, affluent people, right? High members of society. It's not just for powerful people in the world, but it's for the outcasts. It's for the marginalized. It's for the minorities. It's for the poor. It's for this. It's literally the gospel is good news for all people. Luke is this, or Acts is the second work that Luke wrote, the gospel of Luke, which we spent all last year looking at, the big idea of the gospel of Luke is that this gospel of Jesus is good news for all people. And this is what we're seeing here in this church in, in Antioch. There's integration. There's white people with black people, right? There's, there's integration from people of, from high levels of society with those from like low levels of society. There were Greeks and Jews. There were all types of people, guys. And here's why this is so significant. In the Roman Empire of this time, these groups usually had very little to do with one another. Greeks didn't like Romans, right? Romans didn't like Greeks. Jews really didn't like anybody, right? That the rich despised the poor. The poor hated the rich. The educated people looked down on the uneducated people and, and so on. But this is not the case in the church. You guys hearing me? If we were an amen church, this is where we would get the amen, right? 
This is not the truth in the church, not in the church. Guys, this is not in the church in Antioch. This is not in Doxa Church. This is not in any church that loves Jesus and teaches the Bible. See, because the church, guys, through the gospel of Jesus, here's what it does. It unifies people. It unifies people in the body of Christ. The apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 10. Listen to this. He says, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Why? For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. The gospel is good news for all people. And guys, here's the beautiful part of this. Because this church in Antioch was, was worshipful and missional and generous and they were saturated in the Bible and because they were integrated, they could go out into the world with the gospel and they could speak to all types of people. They could speak to the Greeks, they could speak to the Romans, they could speak to the barbarians, they could speak to the slaves, they could speak to the free people, and they could say, as they looked at all these different types of people, the gospel is for you. The gospel is for you. And if these people that heard this gospel news, if they like kind of recoiled and they're like, are you sure? Like, how do you know that's true? Because I'm like very different looking from you. I'm not, I'm not a Jew. Like, how do, you, how do you know this is for me? This church in Antioch could simply say, I know this is true and I know the gospel is for you because that's the way it works back in my church in Antioch. There's all different types of people. Because a church like this is a very powerful force in the world. Because of, its, it's, because of its diversity, guys, it demonstrates the fact that the church and the gospel is for all people. And guys, this is where it gets practical for us, okay? Let me say this about our church. One of my prayers, as we've started this church just a little over a year and a half ago, is that Doxa would grow to be more like Antioch. <clears throat> that this is it to be a more diverse church that reflects the diversity of our city so that we too, like the church in Antioch, can, we can say the right thing about the gospel. We could say the right thing about the family of God and we can be the most effective we could possibly be in reaching the diversity of our city with the gospel. You know, if you've been around here, one of the flags that we fly, like one of our core values is, is family. And, and we can understand this in, in different ways. We can understand it in one way that's very true, but very diluted, like that we're the family of God. And so what that means is that, that we're together, that, that we love one another, right? Peter says, above all else, love. And Jesus says, you'll be, you'll, people know you're my disciples if you love one another. And so as the family, we, we love one another. We care for one another. We sacrifice for one another. We help each other. But guys, that's not like the full picture of what it means to be family, okay? But family reflects the diversity of the family of God. All right, this is not just about one type of person. This is not just about one group of people. And for us, like we can look around our church and we can honestly, I mean, we just gotta say, like this is clearly somewhat of like an aspirational value. But it's so important. It's so significant that we be reminded of this. Because when we look at the demographic of, of Madison, Right? Madison is primarily like a white city, right? upwards of like 70% white, but there's still diversity. There's still a lot of people that are minorities and, and forgotten. And guys, the church, the family of God, we need to reflect the place that God has put us. 
And this is something that I just want to invite you into this with me, that you would pray. That you would pray that all of our eyes would be opened up, that it's not just about me. It's not just about the people that are just like me and live in my neighborhood, but it's about this city which represents all different types of people and just beg God that he would allow us to be a church like Antioch. All for the sake that the gospel could move forward because, guys, I want you to hear this. If we want to be for the good of our city, which is part of our mission statement, right, that we exist to share the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. If we want to be for the good of Madison, this has to be something that we consider and remember and pray about because, guys, hear this. When we talk about loving our city, this makes us realize that there are so many different types of people here that have experienced the truths of God differently. And when there's a diversity of people together who have experienced God in very different, diverse ways, when we're in community together and we're hearing those stories, guys, we get a more full understanding of the beauty and the gospel of Jesus. So it actually is just, it expresses the nature of the family of God, but it helps us because not everybody thinks the way I do. Not everyone experiences life the way I do. There's people that are suffering that I have no idea about. And when I hear them, how they encounter God, it allows me to remember, oh, yes, that is the gospel. Guys, it's, it's a big deal. It's a key part of the nature of the church that I just want to ask you to join with me in, in praying that God would allow this to happen. Now, if you look back among this diverse leadership team, all right, look back at those five names in Antioch. We have a guy named Saul. The Apostle Paul, right? We met him in Acts chapter 9 a few months ago. And I, and I think when I, when I think about Paul, guys, this, this brings us to the second thing that I want to mention concerning the church, which is so easily seen as you, as you consider Paul's life. But it's this. The prime, one of the prime focuses of the church is something that we see back in verses 4 and 5. Look at that. Paul is sent out from Antioch by the Holy Spirit to a different place to do what? This is called teacher wait time, and you educators, right? What, what is he doing? Because we got to wake up. Proclaiming, thank you, right? He, went, he was sent out to proclaim the word of God. Another way to put this is Paul was sent out to preach the word of God, to preach the gospel. Because and when we talk about the word of God, we're talking about this book, we're, we're talking about this book. And, and guys, I think a lot of people have like a really just like an inadequate understanding of, of what this book is, is all about. Because while this book is, is made up of 66 different books from 40 different authors written over the span of like 1,500 years, it's actually just one book with one message. And if you wanted to summarize the message of Christianity, if you wanted to summarize the message of the Bible, you can do it like this. One way to do it is this. J.I. Packer said, the message of the Bible is that God saves sinners, this is what this book is all about. This is the message. This is the thing that we have to preach. This is the thing that we have to proclaim because it's the reality of the story that we're living in. That you have God in people. See, the Bible, guys, is, is not primarily about us. It's primarily about God, but it's for us. And you have this God that's perfect and holy and set apart. He's powerful. He's king. He's creator. He has created us. And the Bible informs us of who God is and who we are. And when we get into the Bible, we hear the words of God and we learn the truth of how we live. Guys, the brokenness in our world is traced back from the beginning of creation when sin came into the world. God created everything and it was perfect. 
humanity disobeyed God, sin came into the world. Anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says, and sin separates, and it separates humanity from God. That's why we live in brokenness. That's why we suffer and we have pain, because we're living in a fallen, broken, sinful world. And in the midst of this sin, guys, it doesn't seem like a big deal in our life right now, but if this goes on forever, this is where we get into the terrible conscious reality of hell. But God, in his goodness, in his love, said, not my kids. God came into the story of human history as the man Jesus. He lived a life that I couldn't live. He died a death that I should have died. And on the cross, he took my place. And through faith in Jesus, he gives us the thing that we could never achieve on our own. Connection and restoration with him, forgiveness of sin. Because this is the, the great message of the gospel, that it's not about you, it's all about Jesus. And guys, the only way that this message gets to the people of the world, whom God loves, is by preaching. This is what Paul and Barnabas were sent out of Antioch to do. And preaching was what Paul was all about. And not just Paul, but Luke throughout Acts. He's highlighted great people. He's highlighted Peter and Philip and Stephen who are preaching. But here in Acts 13, we get the best sermon, or the longest sermon, and the best preacher of them all, Paul. All right? And so he says, guys, God is showing us that preaching is necessary for people to meet Jesus. And Paul, as soon as he got saved, as soon as he came to faith in Jesus in, in Acts chapter 9, do you remember what he did? Immediately, he started preaching. He started telling people about Jesus. He's like, here's the Jesus that changed my life. I just want to tell you about it. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he says that this was actually the reason that he was made to go and to give this message. In Romans 10, I want you to listen to this. This, is, this shows us the, the importance of, of preaching. Listen to this. In Romans 10, 13, the apostle Paul says this, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching, giving away the gospel? And throughout the New Testament, Jesus emphasized this. It's, it's emphasized all throughout the Bible. Guys, in every church that Paul started had this focus, and every church that exists today for the glory of God needs to have this focus because this is how people will know about Jesus. Someone has to tell them the good news about Jesus. It's not just going to be holding open a door or bringing them cookies, as nice as that is. I'm sure Jesus loved cookies too, but he gave the word, and he told people the good news of Jesus. And guys, what Acts 13 is, is really just a chronicle of some of Paul's preaching. It includes his, his longest sermon. And so here's what I'm going to do, okay? For the rest of our time, I want to give you four reasons that preaching is so critical to our lives and to the life of the church. And we see this come out of, of this story. And the first reason it's so critical is this, is that preaching helps people to hear the voice of God. Look at verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false teacher named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Paul and underlined this next part and sought to hear the word of God. Because here's what you need to know. God speaks to us through this book. He speaks to us through this book. 
The ancient church father, St. Augustine, put it this way, that where the Bible speaks, God speaks. Years later, okay, Swiss Protestants said this about preaching. He said, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God to us. Okay, and what this means is that whenever the preaching of the word of God is an explanation of what God has said and and it's faithful to what God has said, it is, in fact, the word of God made audible to us. This This is the truth. A great preacher today, Brian Chapel, he says it this way, that when we speak the truths of the word of God, we're not just speaking about Jesus or speaking for Jesus, but when we are speaking the truths of God, we are speaking as Jesus. Guys, you need to understand that Jesus speaks to his people when his words are rightly opened and rightly preached. And this is what Paul was doing. And this is what the early church was all about. Paul's traveling through this island as he's sent out from Antioch and he's preaching the word of God. And he comes upon this man named Sergius Paulus. And this man is, is someone who's, who's not following Jesus here, but he's intelligent, he's educated. But I want you to look at this, guys. Look, he's not seeking Paul and Barnabas. He's not saying, hey, get Paul and Barnabas to come and encourage me. But what is he seeking? He's seeking to hear the word of God. And I think it's so significant that Paul, or that Luke doesn't say that he was seeking to hear from Paul, but rather hear from God. Because guys, when the Bible is taught faithfully, God speaks and his voice is the voice that we're ultimately all longing to hear because he has created us. And guys, I'll say this. Some of you that have been coming around Doxa every single week, you you don't even know why you keep coming back. I love that you're here, but you don't really know why you keep coming back, but you keep coming back every single week. And you might say, like when asked, like, why do you go there? You're like, they have great music, like the people are super friendly or whatever. But the thing that is drawing you back, I just want you to know the thing that's drawing you back is is not a song or a smile, but it's a voice. It's a voice that's calling out to you as you hear the Bible preached. This is what the preaching of the Bible does. It helps us to hear the voice of God, guys, which is soothing to our broken soul because God speaks good news. He speaks such, such good news, guys. He says, I love you. He said, I made you, I lived for you, I died for you, I rose for you. I've made a way for you, I have a plan for you. There's hope for you. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're experiencing, there is love and there is hope and there is a way. This is what is being told to us as we open up the Bible. And this is why we seek to be like a Bible-saturated church, right? We talk about this idea that you prick us, we, we bleed Bible. This is why we preach the way that we do because God speaks to us. Now, the second reason that preaching is so crucial for our lives and the life of the church is this. And I, do, I love this one, okay. Uh, dude, I don't know why I said that, okay. Preaching makes us mountains, not clouds. Preaching makes us mountains instead of clouds. Look at verse eight. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the paths, straight the paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. 
So here, this is kind of like a weird passage, right? But here's what we have. Paul is, is preaching the word of God. He's preaching and, and sharing the gospel. And he comes upon these two guys, right? You have this Roman governor named Sergius, Sergius Paulus. And then you have this other guy named Bar-Jesus, who is this magician. And, and we see that he's, he's leading and counseling and, and helping this governor. And there's something so significant with this man, Bar-Jesus, all right, his name means son of Jesus or son of salvation. And it's perhaps because he, he claimed that he, to be like a, a spiritual descendant of Jesus and thus he was like an heir to his magical powers. But at any rate, this magician was claiming to know the way of salvation and was also preaching and he was seeking to lead people in his own way. And his name, Elimus, is an Arabic word that means a skillful one. And he clearly was skillful because he's influencing, he's leading, he's telling this, this educated, powerful man what is true. And he was just listening to him. But guys, here's the point. I want you to see this. Paul is not the only one preaching. All right, the magician and many others in the world claimed to have special spiritual insight and were preaching and teaching what they thought was true. And it was leading people in a way that was away from God and away from the truth of his word and away from the gospel. And you're like, what, is this, what does this have to do with anything? Guys, here's what I'll tell you. This is still happening today. Because the world is, is filled with so-called spiritual people who preach a message of salvation that is in opposition to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus. And this is just something that we need to know. And guys, some of you don't know me. You're getting to know me. You just need to know this is not me as like an angry preacher throwing Bibles and yelling at people and kicking little kids and what, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's not me. This is me like I talk to my kids. And that's not a demeaning thing or anything like that. Some of you are older than me. But this is just me saying like I, I see my kids going towards a dangerous thing and I just got to grab Titus. And I'm like, I know you really want to play in that fire. It will kill you. Okay. This is what the Bible is, is doing here. This is so important, guys. The main difference between Paul's preaching and the preaching of Bar-Jesus is that Paul doesn't share like encouraging words or just insightful words or, or relevant words like Bar-Jesus, but he's sharing the words of God. Because it's God's word to us as opposed to every other human philosophy or every other human idea, it's God's, that he authored it, it belongs to him. And I wonder, guys, if you realize what an incredible gift it is to have the word of God. Do you realize how incredibly gifted you are to have that? Because we live in a day of like relativism and pluralism where everything is more or less relative. Where we, we live in a city where people ask, well, how do you know for certain you are right? Have you thought about that question? How do you know that you're right? Guys, and the truth is, is if it were our words, if it was our ideas, if it was our truth, we wouldn't, right? Like we don't build doxa, we don't build our lives on the gospel because we think we're smarter than the average person or we're more insightful or we're more spiritual or anything like that. We believe the truth of the gospel is God's word to us and that changes everything that it's not from man. This is not Rob's idea. This is not Doxa's idea. This is God's, that he authored it. And this gives us, when we understand that this is God's word and not the words of man, it gives us ultimate security and hope for eternity. Because guys, the reality is, is that there have been many men and women who have said great things and proposed great truths 
throughout the history of the world and claim to know the way of salvation, just like Bar Jesus. You know, you have men like Buddha and Muhammad, the Dalai Lama, there are millions of pages written in thousands of books that give good news for us and good advice because they're all from the minds and the mouths of men. Even today, because we have people of prominence that do great things in the world, and because they are great philanthropists and they, they do great loving things, it has elevated them to have a stage where they now begin to speak and their words become weighty with people and people look at them and say, wow, that must be the truth. You know, you, you kind of consider like the, the vague spirituality of, of Oprah, right? And, and she has like these wonderful things that she does. She's helped so many people, guys, doing great, amazing things. And then she starts saying, believe what you want to believe. Believe your own truth. Follow your own way. And at the end, it doesn't matter. We're all going to end up with God. Because this is what Bar-Jesus was doing. Because this is so dangerous. This is so dangerous. This is not me saying like, hey, don't get an Android, get an iPhone. Because here's the truth that you need to know. Right? Because that doesn't affect anything. Except your enjoyable experience on the phone, right? <laughs> this is so dangerous. Guys, because we're talking about eternity. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about forever. Guys, and there's people, maybe even in this room, that you're listening to people like Bar Jesus to give you truth. And it's leading you away from God. We need to know that preaching, because it will make us a mountain instead of a cloud. Many people in this world exist as kind of like clouds. You're kind of just floating through life, and when the newest philosophy comes out, the newest idea, a really smart person on campus comes out and writes a new book, and you hear it, and it appeals to your intellect, and it makes you maybe even feel good, you're like a cloud, and that wind just blows you and moves you. And you move away from the truth. When the gospel is preached, when the word of God is preached, when the gospel is in our lives, when the word of God is rooted in our heart, it makes us a mountain that cannot be moved because we're rooted in the word of God, not the words of men. And so when all these philosophies and ideas and the cultural tendencies and politics and policies start blowing, we don't move. We stand on the truths of God. It makes us a mountain, and preaching is so significant, and Paul is showing us here. Number three, preaching helps us to understand history. i got to move, okay? People have long wrestled with this idea and this question of, is history going anywhere? Because I want you to know, preaching helps us to understand history. Like, people ask the question, is there, is there purpose? Is there a goal? Is there, like, a culmination of history? Or is it just merely, like, a, a succession of, like, sunrises and sunsets, like, a, a meaningless, like, series of flowing years that lead nowhere? Some of you maybe have asked that question, right? There's been a lot of philosophers. The French existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, he said it like this. And he expressed, like, the, the bleakness and the hopelessness of, of, of this view, all right, in his novel, Nausea. And here's what he said. This is just a snapshot of his no novel. He said this, while you live, nothing happens. 
The scenery changes, people come in and go out, that's all. There are no beginnings. Days add on to days without rhyme or reason. Later on in the book, he says this, I was just thinking, I tell him laughing, that here we sit, all of us, eating and drinking, absolutely no reason for existing. Guys, viewing history as purposeless leads to hopelessness and sinfulness. Because if history is going nowhere, guys, there is no point to your life. And if you believe that, like if you believe history is going nowhere, it should bring about a feeling of profound emptiness and sadness. And also, if history is going nowhere, the, the, the very real thought that if there's no God, then everything is permitted. It doesn't matter. And that makes total sense. And so if there is no God, like, go on sinning and do whatever you want. Who, like, don't listen to anybody. Certainly don't listen to me. And Sartre's words here have impacted much of a worldview that a lot of us are in, impacted by and, and influenced by. But Paul, guys, as he preaches the word of God, he shows people, listen to this, history is going somewhere. And I'm running out of time, so I don't have time to to read this entire sermon in verses 17 through 41, but I'll sum it up for you, okay? Paul shows his listeners as he preached that the culmination of history, all right, is, is actually in the coming of the Messiah, all right? That man's fellowship with God, which was shattered by the fall, which is shattered by sin, would be restored by the Messiah who would come and save people from the bondage of sin. And Paul presents us with the culmination of history, and it's all about Jesus, That all of humanity and all of human history kind of revolves around Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he shows us that how how sovereign and how faithful God is throughout history. Look at verse 17. He gives like a historical account with these people. Verse 17, he shows that God from the beginning has cared for his people. He's cared from Israel. He saved them from slavery. Verse 19, he faithfully protected his people from enemies. Verse 20, Even when people were unfaithful, God was faithful and he gave them judges and kings to lead and deliver them. 23 through 37, that that God fulfilled his prophecies of giving an ultimate rescue, that the man Jesus came into the world just like he was foretold. In verse 33, that God accomplished all that he promised by the resurrection. The point is this, guys, Jesus is the culmination of history and God is faithful to his promise to love and save people from the sin that we all have. And I want you to know that this promise isn't just for the Jews of this time, but it's for us, it's for you. Guys, we're all looking for a savior. You might not word it like that, but you're looking for a savior. And if you don't believe me, guys, look at the political climate right now, right? I mean, how tense is it? You go and have a a political conversation in a coffee shop and it starts off like this, right? You're looking over your shoulder, is anybody here? Why is it like that? Because ultimately, people are looking for a savior. We're looking for somebody to take the United States of America and lead it in a way that's going to make everything okay. Because I want you to know this. Because there is nobody that's going to be elected into political office that is going to save you and going to save our world. And we have all types of idiots and all types of stupid things saying it's no policy, it's no procedure, it's no stance on this and stance on that that's going to save you from anything. Because if you look at the history of the world, which Paul is is tracing out, he's going to show you that politics don't save, right? Governments fail and fall. 
Presidents come and go, and no matter how good we think they are or how bad they think they are, it's not going to make everything okay. Jesus is the only Savior. And this is what Paul is saying. You can trace it throughout history. There's one that saves. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we need to understand the story of God because when we remember the story of God, it points us back to him and it makes us a mountain and it roots us in the truth that God is faithful. And the last thing, and then I'm going to be done. Number four, preaching produces movement. Verse 42, and as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The word of God is powerful. It's got, people are coming to hear it. But when the Jews saw this crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling at him. Skip down to verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, not Paul's words. It's not, wow, Paul is so smart and intellectual. It's the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life and believed... And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of the high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out from their districts. Guys, in Romans 1.16, Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. And the Greek word translated power is dunamis, from which our English word dynamite derives. And so what Paul is saying is that it refers to this like positively dramatic transformation for those people who believe. But I want you to hear this, guys. The gospel, when it's preached in power and conviction, the results can also be negatively explosive. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, first comes to us and it confronts us in our sin that you're not perfect, you're broken, and you need a savior. And then it quickly moves to Jesus has done everything for you. Because there's two responses, two movements that the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of God's word, God's word causes. And we see it here, rejoicing and rejecting. These people are hearing the word of God, the good news of Jesus. And what are they doing? They're begging, please don't stop telling us this good news. They're begging them to come back. Guys, Christianity, when rightly understood, produces an explosion of joy. Some of you guys, you're, you're seeing this. You're like, why are you so amped up? How much coffee did you have this morning? Why? Why hands lifted? Why voices raised? Why tears flowing? Why? Guys, it's Jesus. And when understood correctly, when the gospel is understood, it produces this explosion of joy that erupts and just changes people. This is what the gospel does. It creates this explosion of transformation and rejoicing. But the other response, guys, is rejection. Right? Some people reject it. But while it might be rejected, that doesn't negate it as true. My wife tries to feed me vegetables and fruit all the time, and I reject that they're good for me. That doesn't negate it as like they actually are, right? It's a stupid example, but we get it. Just because something is rejected doesn't mean that it's not objectively true. And Paul has already traced throughout history. Guys, some of you, I'll say this to end, you, you've rejected Jesus or you're rejecting Jesus right now. And I want you to know the reason that you're doing this is because you don't really understand Jesus. 
you maybe understand like the culturally contrived Jesus. You might understand like some of the weird, wacko Christians that you've met that preached another gospel. But you don't understand the word of God. You don't understand the Jesus of the Bible. And that is ultimately why you reject him. Because guys, it's good news. The good news is you know that you're broken. Jesus saves. You don't have to be a certain way. You don't have to be a certain person. You have to be in Christ. And he does everything for you. Because it's great news. And when the church focuses on this, and we preach the word of God like this, that God saves sinners, this is what creates churches like Antioch, which changes the landscape of the entire world. Because God is faithful. That's what, that's what Paul wants you to know. I think that's what God wants us to know, that God is faithful. The question is, is will we be? Will we love what God loves? Will we glorify God? Will we follow God with our lives? Will we preach the truths of God for his glory and the salvation for all that he loves? Because if you don't know Jesus today, I pray that this is the day that you realize that God will never fail you. Jesus has done everything for you. And in his sovereignty and his working out of, of human history, part of that journey is you being here today, hearing the word of God. And I pray, I pray that you leave here rejoicing because it's absolutely true and it's for you. Let's pray. God, it seems right to even just thank you for your word. That you show us just how good you are, how, how loving you are. And thank you for this moment of time that you brought us here today just to be confronted with this reality that you've been faithful throughout your creation throughout human history, that you've been faithful to the extent that you're weaving together all of our, our stories into the grand story, which culminates with Jesus. So God, you know where every single one of us are. I pray that during these last songs that you would just speak to us, reinforce to us what you've taught us today through the Bible. And that we would leave here different. In Jesus' name, amen. So God, we're gonna we're gonna